And we're back. Uh, welcome to season two of Redesigning High School. It's our podcast for parents and anyone else interested in how we might remake school for the benefit of students. My name is Terry DeBow, and I'm the English teacher and director of special projects here at Hawk and outside of Cleveland. And I'm Julia Griffin, and I'm director of the Mastery School at It Hawken. is so exciting to be back. Aren't you excited? I am excited. It's always a little sad when the summer is over, but it's yeah, good to get things going. It is. It's always a bummer when summer ends but this year feels different yeah do you feel like it's different yeah how would you say it's different it's different uh yeah we're we're this year i am so excited for this year it's a big year it really is so you know we for for those who've been following along at home um we spent uh the spring semester of last year really you know, laying out a plan, building a team, you know, beginning to talk to people about this cool new school uh, that we're building. And then, you know, over the summer, we did a ton of work. We uh, now have our design team on site. We have our own little temporary home on the upper school campus for the year. Yeah, the luxurious um, uh, old uh, computer rooms. The old tech center. Yes, awesome. exactly. Um and you know, and we're we're up and running. Up and running. We so we debate whether we should have a countdown clock. We don't have a countdown clock. But yeah. in rough numbers, <laughs> we are, you know, like roughly fifty one weeks. Fifty one weeks. But who's away. counting? Now I mean that probably would be pretty stressful to have a countdown clock. But yeah. we are making a lot of progress on the design of the Mastery yeah. School of Hawken. Um, which uh, we had a test run this summer. We had a couple summer classes, mm-hmm. um, which were pretty fun. Um, we got a sense of what it's like in that building, what it's like down there. Yeah. Um, and it's it's very exciting. Now, and Hawken is still doing its Hawken thing. Like, there's so much innovation that that's happened right. over the last, uh, over the summer that's going to in- infuse, you know, a lot of incredible experiences here on that's the right. upper school campus. So, anyway, it's an exciting time, exciting time for both of us. Um, and, uh, yeah. And we're going to get into it. So we thought the first episode of season two should be about a topic that uh, is central to learning. Um, Homework? Homework. No. No, just kidding. It is about uh, failure and the productive use of failure, which in schools is, uh, is, is not... Is, is often given voice to, but in truth, in action, failure seems to uh, be more like a chain that people drag around and can never let go of. If they do poorly on a quiz in the, a quiz in the third week, um, there goes the semester. So we're going to attack that question with our friend Julia Hodges, who's on the design team. Um, and uh, I think she's got a lot of good things to say. She wrote yeah. a blog post about it. If you haven't read it, it's called The F Word. It's kind of a good name. Uh, yeah, it's a good one. And we'll uh, we'll include it in the uh, show notes below. But before we get to it, let's do our thing, which is the best and the worst of the week. So you got something? It's, I, we're just getting started. So I know. I do. The first week of school, it's great. I mean, one of the things about teaching in, the, in this way, you know, in the way that we're doing is that you get right into it like there's no there's no beating around the bush and so within the first week all three of the macros that we're running this fall have have gotten a challenge from a community partner and they're all in it now and working on those challenges which is really cool so um so the moment that i am uh the the moment that i'm thinking of is one that i came out of earlier today which was uh in the entrepreneurship class 
students are working on their first challenge, uh, and it's for a uh, sort of a startup business, um, a streetwear company called Living Rich. Uh, that's had a kiosk in the Beachwood Mall, and they're opening in a new location in the 105th Street Incubator, just down the oh. street from our new digs, um, and and the Grease Center, which is where the entrepreneurship class is located a number of days out of the out of the week. Um, and there's this moment that happens, and it happens every semester um, in the entre class, which is the students come in to the first share out, and they're like pretty sure they've got something good, and they have a solution, and like they've got a bunch of ideas, and they know what she needs to do, and they have them, and the the goal in that first share out and that experience of the first share out is both getting them to go through the work of putting together those solutions that they have, and then getting them to realize through the feedback and the questions, and this is just what we did this morning, um, that, wow, there's a lot of work that they still have to right. do. <laughs> and it's such a good moment because, you know, that that's what that's what learning and that's what growth look like, right. right? Is that you realize the depth of what you don't know and you realize some of what you need to learn. And so so the entre teachers and Doris and I were all in there this morning and uh, they came out of share outs and they were where they need to be. Like, yeah, we need to do a lot of research. We need to really get out there and interview people. And so so it's exciting. Like that's it's, great. it's it's the de-schooling process and in action right in front of us. That's awesome. Yeah. That's great. Well, what so, about you? Uh, what about so I am teaching a class called Reading America, which is, you know, it looks like an American literature class, but um, it's maybe a little bit more, I don't know, it, it's more agendized than that. Um, but the first thing I did is uh, I took attendance, and then I took them outside and had them leave everything in the room, and we walked into the woods and we found a log for them to sit on, and I asked them um, about uh, two things: uh, whether they knew what the word aesthetic meant. And it's and it's cousin anesthetic. And then I asked them if they knew what sacred went and it's and it's antithesis of profane. And we talked about aesthetics and anesthetics, things that wake you up, make you feel alive, and things that make you feel asleep. And I asked them, roughly speaking, in general terms, what whether school felt aesthetic or anesthetic. Ooh, what did they say? <laughs> uh, uh, predictably, they said anesthetic. Um, which is a bummer mm-hmm. for people who invest their, invest their careers and lives in it, but nonetheless predictable. Yeah. Um, and so we talked a little about why school is something that deadens them um, for not all of them, but for some and in some yeah. moments. And uh, you know, it, they're predictable things that are that we need to pay attention to, right? It's mm-hmm. feelings of judgment, feeling that the work is not relevant, the feelings that you know they're doing it for some other person other than themselves. And so it allows us a, an opportunity to talk about. You know, how do we turn something like that into something that is aesthetic, that wakens you to something that you care about, that's meaningful to you, and that feels like something it's valuable for you to explore, you know, your capacities. So it's not so. And my goal in the class is to take something um, that I feel is sacred, which is culture, literature, ideas that have transported through time um, and make them relevant to them. And so to make um this experience aesthetic for them. Um, so I am crossing my fingers and I said, that is, that is the standard I'm holding myself to, you know, you will be the judges of whether I can, you know, do this particular magic trick. Um, but I can't do it unless they're willing to make that shift. So, uh, I will keep you posted. We read yeah. one story. I'm not sure it was it was sacred to me. I'm not sure it was sacred. To them. <laughs> it was aesthetic to me. I'm not sure it was, but uh, that's my that's my challenge for myself for the year. 
well, you definitely established the stakes of the class yeah. right away on the first day. That's pretty cool. Yeah, it was fun. And, the, you know, then we walked out, then we came in and we talked about, you know, I don't know, homework. <laughs> but uh, it was good. Nice. <laughs> it was good. All right. So let's get to it. Uh, we uh, are going to interview our friend Julia Hodges, um, who wrote this uh, great blog post about failure. Um, and uh, once uh, we hear from her, we'll come back on the other side and talk a little about it. So here she is, Julia Hodges. So welcome to the podcast, Julia. We're really glad to have you here. Thanks. I'm really glad to be here. So tell us just a little about you and what you do here at Hawken. Sure. Uh, so currently I teach the engineering class at Hawken. I um, was hired at Hawken to teach math. Um, before that, I have taught math, engineering in another school. And before that, I was um, an aerospace engineer at GE Aviation. Awesome. So I, I know that I'm really excited to talk more about your blog post recently on failure. And I wonder if a way to do that is to to start by um, asking you to talk a little about your engineering class this fall. So you decided to start class differently this year than the way you did it, than you've done it in the past. And I wonder if you can tell us a little about what that is and why you did it that way. Yeah. So in the in the spirit of taking risks and failing potentially <laughs> as a teacher, um, I decided that I was going to start the year giving the kids sort of a design sprint, which is like a mini one week project. Uh, that I intentionally wanted them to fail at um, and hopefully do so in such a way that it didn't kill their motivation but gave them some really valuable insights before they went into a um, project that had an authentic audience that they cared way more about uh, so that they could hopefully fail at something small stakes and not fail so much at the big stakes thing. Yeah. So what was the design sprint? What did you ask them to do? Yeah, sure. So it might help to give a little bit of context that their their first real challenge is uh, we work with United Cerebral Palsy's occupational therapy department to um, adapt toys for, for some of their kids who, you know, for various reasons can't access toys that are developmentally appropriate for them. Um, so our kids work to either adapt or design new toys that are, you know, both like fun for anyone and accessible to kids who may have, you know, extremely limited mobility. Um, and so to sort of prepare them for that, I started the year by giving them a the challenge of a marble sorter. So I had marbles of the same size that were made of different materials, so steel, glass, and wood, and they needed to design a machine that would sort those marbles in a completely automated fashion. So if I dump them in with a cup, they need to sort them. Um, and, you know, I mean, these are smart kids. It seems relatively straightforward. They're like, oh, my God, there's so many different material properties. Like, it's really easy to distinguish, like, steel is magnetic, and it weighs way more than the other ones, and they all weigh different things, and some of them float, and some of them sink. Like, we've got this. You know, we've got a week. We can totally do this. Um, and they spend all of their time, you know, coming up with the different mechanisms by which they might do this. It turns out to be a lot harder than they think it's going to. Um, but where the failure really comes in is what none of them think about is even though they're perfecting that, none of them think about the fact that all of these methods rely on marbles being delivered in a neat and tidy one by one fashion. And I am dumping them in with a cup. Um, so sort of the hidden failure spot is this idea of the hopper where they're all like, oh, we're just going to use a funnel. Um, but if you've ever dumped marbles into a funnel, they just all immediately get stuck. They don't flow through nicely. Mm -hmm. um, and none of them realize that <laughs> until it's the day before. And you're like, oh, how about you put that funnel on? And they're like, oh, no. And it turns into a massive panic. Um, 
So they, they actually they made a lot more progress than I thought they were going to in the 11th hour. Uh, I don't know how late they stayed after school or how early they came in the day before the test. Um, but they, they did have some, you know, like partially, partially functional things. But for all of them, sort of that hopper was the downfall. And so then, you know, I got to sort of reveal, like, guess what? I set you up for failure on purpose. I did not expect you to win this. And they all had their big, ah, you're a sadist. Um, <laughs> did they? Yeah. Yeah. That seems pretty normal. Um, <laughs> they, were they pretty mad? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it was, I, I think they had sort of already picked up on on potentially the purpose behind sure. this. So then we got to say like, okay, I'm not actually a sadist. I don't hate no. you. I'm not trying to punish you. Why do you think I did this? You yeah. know, n- knowing a little bit what's coming down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were sort of able to identify like, you know, we learned a ton about like how we managed our time as a team. Maybe all four of us shouldn't have been standing around talking about the same thing when we had super limited times. Maybe mm-hmm. we should have distributed a little more. We definitely should have thought about the hopper sooner. Um, and we were able to have like a nice conversation um, about, you know, how can you apply those insights into this project that you're going into, which is much more complex um, and much higher stakes so that you can avoid making some of those same mistakes. So, yeah. I mean, totally fascinating. I mean, it's as an English teacher, I would love to build failure in as a productive tool. It tends not to feel that way for a lot of kids when they're reading and writing. But in this project, um, I'm interested about your past. Is there something about your work at GE and in industry that informed your your opinion about the benefits of failure? Yeah. Um, so I think one of the big things that I took from engineering is this concept that I like to present to the kids Um as the difference between small f failure and big f failure. So small f failures are those failures that are low stakes um, and that present learning opportunities that you can sort of build from. I mean, it's basically prototyping um, in order to avoid the big f failure, the catastrophic failure, the failure that hurts really bad, the, the one that you really don't want to happen, hopefully. Um, and, and that's all of what engineering really is. It's layers and layers of iteration. Um, I worked specifically in FAA testing um, certification for um, the jet engines that GE makes. Um, and so, you know, to get to that point, it goes through so many rounds of concept design and then modeling in, bu- in a bunch of different softwares before you ever build it. And then you build it and then you test it in a billion different ways and, you know, see what goes wrong and what doesn't meet the meet the bar um, and and redesign and iterate and iterate and iterate before you're ever going to put it on a an actual plane so that hopefully right. none of those things go wrong when it's up in the air with a bunch of people. Right. So, so how is what you were asking your students to do both in this design sprint and what, you know, what you asked them to do in the engineering class, what we asked them to do in, in the work that we're doing in the mastery school design team, how is that different from the way this works in traditional classes because lots of teachers like to talk about how it's really important to have the freedom to fail and the courage to fail and space to fail. But how is, how is this different? Right. So I think that the, the way that we've normally structured things, you know, I, I think we, we say that all the time we talk about how great it is, but then really ultimately like what, what you have is we're going to talk about a concept, we'll do some practice on it, and then you're going to have a quiz. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> you, you know, depending on how you do on that quiz, like no matter what, that quiz is going to follow you and it's going to affect your grade. Um, I think, you know, the the ideas behind like standards based grading and the opportunity to, to sort of redo things and show mastery on a, a different timeline is, is trying to move past some of that. But, it, you know, at the end of it, like you still have a grade at the end of the class at a set timeline, whether that's your timeline or not. Um, and I think a lot of times to the 
that rush to cover content. Like we just have to, we have to cover all the different things in pre-calculus. Doesn't give you the chance to, to do that iteration, which is really the key part of being able to fail and learn from it is you need to be able to take the time to actually go back to the same thing several times and learn from those failures and improve on them. So, I mean, it's almost as if school is designed uh, to make people feel like failure, small f failures are big f failures, right? That every failure tra- is tracked and it and accumulates. Have you come up with uh, upper, you know, ways of re- getting students to rethink the value of failure? Um, I mean, I think, yeah, just try, trying to build that into the class. And so, like, the, the entire engineering class is structured around these these iterative opportunities where each experience builds on the previous one. Um, and we take a lot of time to sort of reflect on what went well and what didn't go well and what are you going to do about the things that didn't go well so that they go well in the future. Um, and so taking that time to to sort of reflect it and be really specific because it can be hard and painful to sit down and identify like, oh, well, that didn't go well, but like what didn't go well about it? Like specifically, why didn't that work? And really trying to get down mm-hmm. to that, the the root cause, the root cause analysis of yeah. why something went wrong. Yeah. I, you know, I think that's, that's a, a piece that's often missing in schools. And you talk in the blog post about that and about reflection and that's refl- an ongoing reflection is such a key part of what we do and how we do it um, that I think sometimes we'll say that, you know, if you're not going to take the time to do the reflection, like don't bother doing the activity because the learning is lost, like, you know, 20 minutes after they walk out the door, if there isn't that opportunity. And it's, you know, years ago we did an activity in, in a faculty meeting that was about, it was about something with the the three P's and the mission of the school, I think. But I remember I was paired with our football coach at the time and the, 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 principle we were assigned to was one about reflection and you know our job was to talk about what that meant in each of our work and I was talking about what it meant in mine and he listened to me very carefully and then he was like so what you're talking about is like game tape he's like we do that all the time mm-hmm. like we do that after every after every Friday the next thing that happens is reflection and he's like that's not what I call it but that's what it is um, and so I do think it lives in a lot of other places in engineering in sports in lots of places more than it lives in um, school because there's that the test is over, the paper is over, whatever it is, and uh, and there is always that moment. Right, yeah, yeah. absolutely. The, one of the things that I thought was really interesting about your blog post was that it was also, it wasn't just an indictment of our grading system and how we say one thing and actually do the other, um, but it gave some advice about how we might you know, get students and get uh, schools to rethink the value of failure. You talk about ongoing uh, reflection. You talk about the uh, the redefining failure in a productive way. It, in your experience as a teacher, what has been the most effective way to get students to really see failure as a value, something that can be something they embrace? I think again, just sort of when, when they've been able to do that iterative process a couple times and and look back and say like, oh, okay, so having a marble sorter that didn't work was a little frustrating, but not actually that painful. And then, you know, let me compare what I think would have happened if I had do- if I had made all those mistakes on this real thing versus what I was actually able to do. And then and then do that a couple times and really be able to, if you've been doing that reflection well, be able to identify exactly how they've grown and the types of, you know, blind spots that they don't miss anymore and things like that that make them realize like, oh, yeah, you know, having to go through this and fail has sort of, one, made me less averse to it. Mm. Um and two, really been able to give me those insights. Right. 
Do you feel like they've learned the in engineering, particularly like the mechanics of engineering, in ways that are more pr- profound? That the 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 mathematics behind it and the concepts behind it are more meaningful because they see the value of them, and when they go wrong, they realize they need to get it right for the thing to work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I and I also think that it, it does a really good job of what math is often super guilty of, which is presenting this idea that there's the one correct way that you solve this problem. And it's sort of this like God complex, this idea that like, oh, there is a right answer and somebody knows it. Right. Mm. And they're Mm -hmm. judging me based on whether or not I know it when the reality is like anything in the real world, like nobody knows. And there isn't like the, we're not in search of that one correct answer. Everything is, is smart trial and error and so it's you know how do i leverage those those mechanical concepts those mathematical and science concepts into you know that that smart trial and error so again like failing at something trying to figure out like why it failed and what went wrong requires you to understand the concepts behind that to be able to identify like why that worked or didn't work so i imagine you end up caring more yeah. If you get, I mean, I don't know how to do any of this stuff, but I imagine <laughs> I would care more about the getting the math right because I wanted my rocket ship to go up and uh, something like that. Right. Yeah. No, exactly. Because it's not just, you know, I'm sitting and doing a, a worksheet full of math problems. Like I'm actually trying to understand what went wrong. Right. Speaking of rockets, um, you and Zach Kordaleski taught the rocket science class over the summer. Um, how did this? It was it was such a compressed time frame. It was five five half days. Um, but uh, what would you say? How did you see that this kind of cycle play out with your middle schoolers in that class? Yeah, absolutely. So we um, in such a short time frame, we really wanted to focus on two things, which were sort of the the skill of experiment design, mm-hmm. um, and and how you sort of you know identify something you want to investigate, come up with a plan to investigate it, and then analyze those results. And then again, that sort of the the iterative part of design. Um, so they. Um, you know, we had them design and launch several different kinds of rockets. They had to do test launches, and you know, several of them would launch them up, and <laughs> the rocket would go up. They all launched beautifully, and then all of a sudden, it would take the nosedive and burst right back down um, because their parachute didn't deploy. And so mm-hmm. then they they had to go through the extremely real part of engineering, which is like, oh, why didn't the parachute deploy? Right. And and it can't just be like, I don't know. I guess we suck at building rockets. Right. Um, it needed to be, you know, like, is our it, is it too big for the space that it's in? So what do we need to change? Do we need to make the parachute smaller? Like, well, we can only make it so small. Like, what if we make the body tube bigger? And sort of, you know, try to figure out, like, what's the best way to prevent that from happening again? Well, we I was lucky enough to be outside. I took a little video of you, uh, and uh, which we'll put on the, in the show notes. But it was pretty. The one thing that I noticed, um, besides, it's pretty cool to launch rockets. Um, yeah, it is pretty cool. Yeah, the kids were really excited. Right, yeah. they were running Who around, love launching rockets. launching rockets. Right, <laughs> uh, and I just imagine, you know, the. The classes I took in high school or middle uh-huh. school where I was learning how the world worked through worksheets or through watching something on, you know, VHS back then. Um, and it just had a different feel. They were running and laughing and they were cheering for each other and they were really engaged. Right. So it seems to me like there's this counterintuitive thing that happens, too, where if you ha- if you redefine failure as being productive, it uh, it changes the emotions behind it, too. So people can support each other and maybe collaborate. So help and help people 
improved. Have you noticed that as well? Right. Yeah. No, for sure. And and again, I think I mentioned in the video that we showed them. Um, SpaceX was awesome enough to post a compilation of all of their booster system tests (laughs) failing. And I mean, they're like spectacular failures because they they just blow up. Literally, (laughs) we watch tons of explosions. So it's, you know, I mean, obviously that's like devastating for them as they go. But it's also like kind of fun to watch. Um, Like rocket failures are are fun failures when there's not people on board. So and again, so, you know, it. It's great when it's, you know, in that the small F iteration testing part of it and allows you to avoid that big F failure. So, I mean, in in that time frame, they didn't get to that, you know, like super successful, amazing, like, look at this. We built this perfect rocket that goes super high and everything worked perfectly. Um, But I think they all, you know, sort of had those ideas, even like even ending on, you know, potentially failures in the class. You know, I think they all left with sort of this idea of like, oh, my God. So if I did this, like. I'm, I'm hoping they all went home and bought some model rockets and are still trying right. to play with them and figure that out. <laughs> well, we can find out. So um, anyway, thank you for coming in. I thought it was a good way to start the uh, second season to talk yeah. about failure and the productive use of it. So we appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks, Julia. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Well, so just imagine how different adulthood would be if we had a healthy attitude about failure through our childhood. <laughs> or maybe I'll talk from the I perspective. Let me let me imagine, like, be very different. Yeah, no, me too. I mean, I think about that all the time, actually, um, because so many of our uh, norms are set in childhood, and then it's really much harder to rewire them when you're an adult. They are. Right? Adolescence, your whole brain is being rewired. Yeah, it's it kind be... of a moment of opportunity. Yeah, so, I mean, I just have to ask, and as you think about directing the Mastery School of Hawken. Yeah. How do you think this gets uh, integrated into what we're going to make? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, I think it's everywhere. I think it's in the DNA of how we're designing the school um, and how we're working together as a design team. Um, And that that is how it then infiltrates everything that we do with students as well. Um, So the, you know, it's a way of like, I think that the the teaching and learning practices actually are an embodiment of that sort of growth mindset idea of I'm not there yet. Um, because you're never like, you never get there. That's the misleading thing about mastery, actually, right? right? Like that it's not that mastery is the opposite of failure. Right. It's not like true mastery is recognizing that there's always a next frontier. Sure. And so, so you, so it's not about getting there. It's about, um, developing the skills and the mindsets and the habits that include trying it, figuring out what didn't work and trying it again, just like Julia said. Um, And I think that that's what I am. What I love about the way our academic program is built is that's what you have to do. It's not like some kids are going to fail and others are not. Everyone has to because nobody gets it right, right out of the gate when you're working on a real problem that no one has solved yet. Right. You can't. Um, it's like the entre kids in the share outs. Right. It's the same thing. You can't get it right right away because no one knows how the answer. No one knows what the right. answer is. So I just think that that culture of we're trying and we're doing really hard things and we're gonna keep coming at it. That's that that's that's what it's all about. That's what we're doing. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to be uh, a really interesting culture at the master school where failure is welcomed and it's part of what we do. Um, it is part of the de-schooling, unschooling. I also wonder there's going to be this temptation of changing the word. Let's not call it failure. Let's call it a bump. I have no idea. 
I wonder if it's really valuable just to own the word and be like, let's just try and take away some of its meaning so that mm-hmm. when someone says someone failed, you don't feel like it's some sort of comment on their on their on their on their identity, right? Or on their value, right? Because they missed somewhere, right? I yeah. think that could be really a very powerful thing. So anyway, I thought that was a nice first episode and a good topic. Uh, so yeah. I want to thank Julia Hodges for coming in. And obviously, thank you, Julia, and anyone out there still listening. Um, this year, we're going to do something else. Uh, we're going to ask for reviews on the podcast. Ooh. We have one on Apple. It's very nice uh, on iTunes. But Great. let's get some more. Nice ones. Uh, anyway, so uh, think about reviewing us. Um, please share this stuff. If you have a minute, we're also going to do a, a survey. Uh, if you if you sign up for the newsletter, we have a reader survey about ways we can make this even better. Uh, follow us on social media. Go on our website. Um, we are thinking about getting swag. Wouldn't it be great on a T-shirt? A mug? Are we designing school mug? A redesigning school mug? I'll buy <laughs> a mastery school mug. Well, maybe. Maybe. Who we'll knows? See. All right. Anyway, so hope you sign up for all that stuff. And uh, until next time, thanks for joining.